0: Wow. Thank you. So, um, growing up, I used to be very insecure that I grew up in church because I wasn't just, I didn't just grow up in church. I was always really involved because at first I was the, um, my grandma was the pastor and then my parents were the pastors. So, I've always been really heavily involved in church which I loved, and that was great, but in high school, that made me very insecure because I didn't fit in. There was a lot of things that I believed, things that I did that my friends wouldn't, and there was a lot of things that my friends did and believed that I didn't or wouldn't do. So it made me feel super different, and at that age, in high school, the biggest fear for me was just being different and not fitting in with like everyone in my in my school and I always always would be scared if the topic of God would come up in science because I wouldn't want to talk about it because I know I'd be laughed at and I'd be different from everyone because everyone else believed in the big Bang theory um, and I just I hated that I was different and that made me so insecure so I would I would do things in high school to try and fit in with everyone that I knew I shouldn't just because I'd didn't want to not fit in. I didn't want to be different. I wanted to be the same as everyone. I, I, I wanted to be, I wanted to follow the crowd. And, you know, I think one of the biggest fears uh, that we all face is like fear of rejection and fear of being an outcast in society. Apparently public speaking is one of the most feared things in the world because no one likes to be different and no one wants to like, everyone kind of wants to just fit in with everyone because it's yeah, you know, no one wants to be laughed at. It's a very fearful thing to not be the same as everyone else. And I remember, before I'm gonna, I tell this story, I'm just going to say, sorry, Mom and Dad. <laughs> <Got> it, <stop. laughs> so I remember when I was probably about 14, uh, there was this, I will not say it was new, because I reckon people have probably done it like for ages. But it was a thing that everyone in my year started to do. And what you would do is, you tell your parents you were going to sleep at your mate's house. And they would tell their parents they were going to sleep at your house. And then you just stay out all night and have fun with all your friends. I think it was called like roughing it. So me and my friends were like, because everyone started doing it. And I'd see it on like their stories on social media, like them at a park at 4 a.m. I was like, that looks so fun. So me and my friends decided to do this. And I'm on the phone to him. I'm like, okay, I'll go tell my mom that I'm sleeping in your house. I'm not going to name names, but my, my mom probably knows who it is. Uh, and he told his parents that he was coming to sleep at our house. And we met up in town that day, and there was three of us, uh, maybe four, three or four of us, and we were just chilling in town, waiting for it to get late. And it got to about midnight, and we were like, okay, we've not really thought this through, because everywhere was shut, it's like midnight, And it was on like a Friday night, so everywhere that was open was clubs and bars that we couldn't be in because we were 14. You know, this bum fluff that grew here would not get me anywhere that was over 18. So we were like, okay, where do we go? The only place that was open was McDonald's. So we went to McDonald's on Winnick Road and we were sat down. We were just talking for like half an hour. And a group of lads came in who were probably between the ages of 18 and 20. Uh, and what the, one of them comes up to us, and he goes, You're like, what what are your names, what are your names? And uh, we told him our names. He's like, are you guys just staying out all night? And we were like, yeah, yeah. And he was like, his name, he went, I'm not going to tell you my legal name, but what everyone knows me as is 10-bag Tony. I was like, okay, interesting name. Uh, and every- all my friends at this point, because we were 14, they had started to smoke weed, because everyone in my year started to do it, because it was the cool thing to do. Um, and Tim Tony, to no surprise, pulls out weed, and he's like, Is, as, have you guys tried weed before, and my friends were all like, yeah, yeah, I've, I've done it, and me, I've never done it before, and I don't want to do it, because I know all my values and morals, and everything I've been taught since a kid goes against this, you know, this was the devil's lettuce, I, I as a Christian, no, and, but I was so insecure, I didn't want to say that I hadn't tried it before, so I was like, yeah, yeah, I've I've smoked weed before, you know, I'm cool, and he goes, oh, okay, let's go outside, and then I'm like, oh, no, so we all go outside, we're all in a circle, and he's passing this joint around to everyone, and it comes around to me, and I'm like, I don't want, I really don't want to smoke this, because I know I shouldn't, but if I don't, I'm going to be laughed at, so I kind of went like this, like, and then then he's like, mate, it's not Listerine, you need to take it back. And I'm like, what does taking it back mean? I didn't want to say what does taking it back mean to him because then he he knows I've never smoked it before. So I kind of observed as everyone else smoked it and I realized taking it back means you have to like, like inhale it so it goes into your lungs. I was just keeping it in my cheeks. So it came to me. I was like, okay, I've got to take it back. Otherwise, they're going to laugh at me. And Insecure Adam could not be different than everyone else. He had to fit in. So I went... and had the biggest coughing fit ever. And everyone laughed at me because they were like, I thought you said you tried it before, Adam. I'm like, what? No, I've just got like a cold. So it it made my throat a bit coughy. I don't usually cough when I smoke weed before. Um, So everyone kind of went round again. And this time I didn't want to take it back because I didn't want to cough again and I didn't want to get high. So I kind of did my best Oscar impression of taking it back when I just didn't. And it kept going around and eventually it's finished and we all go back and we sit back in McDonald's and everyone's there like, oh, I'm so high. And me, I'm not, but I'm just like, yeah, yeah, me too, I'm really high. Um, And next up, more of this Tony's mates come over and they pull out like a bottle of vodka. I'm like, oh my gosh, alcohol. The only, I'm, I'm 14 and a pastor's kid. The only alcohol I've ever had was a tiny glass of wine when we took communion in church. So they, they pulled out vodka and I'm like, I, I, know, I don't know much about alcohol, but I know vodka is the strong stuff. So we go outside again and then it comes on to me and I'm like, I don't want to get drunk, but I also don't want to be different and I want to fit in. So again, that conflict of not wanting to do something, but also not wanting to not fit in, settled in me. So I took like a sip of it, and then it felt like it was burning a hole in my throat. I was in pain, but I didn't want to show that, so I was kind of like, oh yeah, that'll get you there, you know? (laughs) Trying to look like I fitted in with everyone. And then it came on to me again, and again, I did an Oscar performance, and just tried my best to look like I was drinking it, but I didn't, because I didn't want to be drunk. And then we're all just chilling outside, and the alcohol starts to settle in with all my friends and all of this Tony's friends, and I just saw this spirit come upon them of drunkenness. You know, they were walking along side with the road. It was on Winnick Road, which even for like 1, 2 a.m. is still fairly busy. And some of them are like going onto the road and nearly getting run over. Some of them are starting to argue. They're all being dead loud. And I just noticed that they weren't. something wasn't right with how they were acting. And we went and we sat back in McDonald's. And they were being so loud and messing around. And one of the staff, rightfully so, came over and was like, hey, if you guys don't stop, we're going to have to kick you out. So we're all like, oh, okay. And then the staff goes. And then Tony, 10-Bag Tony, walks next to me. And he goes. And then I'm thinking, like, what's he doing? He's probably just going to order food. Then I hear a scream and a bang. I turn around, and lo and behold, 10-Bag Tony has picked up a chair and launched it over the counter at one of the staff and me and my friends like this is bad and one of the staff underneath every like in shops in restaurants anywhere that has tills there's usually like a panic button for if you're being robbed and one of the staff pressed that okay which you know we they weren't getting robbed but fair enough someone's throwing a chair at you but yeah but that That button notifies the police, and all the police see is that the panic button has been pressed. So they prepare for the worst. For all they know, this could be like an armed robbery. They send a riot van out, okay? Me and my friends just run, and we go and hide in a bush. And we're like watching, we're like in this bush watching like this massive riot van pull up with people running out into McDonald's. We're like, oh this is bad, we're going to jail. We are terrified, okay? And my friends are like still drunk and high, so they're not really processing this. They're kind of like, oh, yeah, we're going to go to jail. I'm like, we're going to go to jail. (laughs) I am terrified. (laughs) And eventually we've been in there for no joke, at least half an hour, possibly an hour. And the, the riot van went. They must have spoke through with the staff about what had happened. And then we go back out, and then there's Tony and all his mates coming out of hiding. I think they were hiding behind Matalan. Um... And they all start arguing about something. I don't even know because they were drunk. And there was this girl. She was sat down on like a cab. And there was another girl here. And they're arguing with each other. And they're shouting. And this girl who stood up just goes like this and volleys the other girl's face. And I was like, probably stood about here. I just saw her nose break and blood go everywhere. And then a passerby called the police because they just saw violence. So me and my friends like, right, we cannot be near Tony and his friends. So we run off to the train station, Scared that, like, there's going to be a police helicopter coming to track us down. So we were hid, because the Wellington Central train station is open. We were hid at, like, the bike bits so that they couldn't see our heads, because we thought there was actually going to be a police helicopter coming for us. And I remember just sitting in that train station with a lot of remorse, a lot of guilt and shame, and I was scared. Because what I had witnessed was, like, I had witnessed... Something that was spiritual, but a dark spiritual force over these people. And my friends are there, and they're kind of just laughing about it. But I'm seriously shook up by what had happened that night. And I remember, I just had this realization. And for the first time in my life, the insecurity went. Because I realized, if that's what the world is, I'm glad I don't fit in with that. I'm glad I don't fit in with that. I'm glad that getting drunk and getting high and arguing and slandering and gossiping, I'm glad that that is not normal to me. I don't want to fit in with that. I'm glad and I am totally fine that I am different from my friends. I am glad that my my parents are happily married and not divorced like most of my friends were. I'm glad that on Sunday when my friends would all go to football and I couldn't because I had to be in church, I'm glad that I didn't fit in because of that. There was so much... And the realization that came to me that I am glad that I don't fit in. All the insecurity, all the insecurity and the fear of of not being normal just went because I realized if this is the world, I don't want to fit in. And I don't think that I'm on my own. If you're a Christian in here, maybe you are like me and you grew up in church or you were a pastor's kid. Or maybe you found God when you were 20 or you found God when you were 80. It doesn't matter. But if you found God in this place, there would have been a time where you realized, I don't want to be the same as the world. I don't want to fit in with them. I kind of just want to be different and, and set apart. And the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt and God pulled them out of slavery. That's a, a story with itself. If you don't know about that, read the book of Exodus. God pulled his people out of slavery from Egypt, and the first thing he did when he pulled them out was he gave them laws. Not just I know there was the 10 commandments, but in the whole of Leviticus there's 613 laws. And, and what God said to them was, I know you've just been in Egypt and you've seen the way the Egyptians live. You've seen their lifestyles. You've seen what they've said is good and what they've said is wrong. And I know you're surrounded by the Jebudites, Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, every Ice on the planet. I know you've been surrounded by all these different nations and you've lived in different nations. And you've seen their ways and how they live. But I want you to live by my ways. When I asked God what he wanted me to preach on, he spoke clearly to me. And it was Leviticus twenty twenty six. He said, you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy. I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. Yeah. And although it, I didn't realize when I was in that train station and I had that realization, what really happened in me there was that I was glad that I was set apart and that I was different from the world. And you see, when this verse was given and this commandment to be holy was given to the Israelites, there was an issue. There was a problem because the Israelites, this was before Jesus, this was pre-Jesus, and the Israelites still had all their sin nature. And we read through the whole of like the Old Testament, how God is constantly wrestling with the Israelites to be holy because they're constantly making idols and worshipping that and they're constantly walking away from God and not following God because they were controlled by their sinful nature. And that same sinful nature that was in the Israelites, that same sinful nature that corrupts the whole world today, all the evil in the world today is because of that same sin nature. It corrupts the world and it's corrupted the world since the beginning of time. And I find that in me. I find a sinful nature in me that's in rebellion to God and that hates the things of God. And as a Christian, that's hard because I want to be set apart But how can I when my very nature is sinful? How can God call his people to a holy standard when our very nature is sinful? It's like, God, how is that fair? You're calling us to a standard that by our very nature is impossible to get. It's like, it's not fair. It's not. But the thing is, God answered it in Jesus' We, we talk about Jesus forgiving our sin and saving us from hell, but that's not just what Jesus died for. He died for something far greater. Jesus died to make us holy. He died so that we could have a new nature. As Christ was crucified, it says, so our sinful nature was crucified with Christ. And as Christ was raised to glory, so we have been raised to glory with Christ and been given a new nature. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Christ died to make us holy and give us a new nature. Paul says, so therefore reckon yourself dead to sin. And if we can just get the picture up at the back, you see, the mind is incredibly powerful. The Bible says, as a man thinketh, so he is. Because if you believe a lie, you will think that that lie is true. And when I first saw this picture, like a year ago, I instantly thought about us dying to sin. Because here is a a load of sheep, and at first it may look just like a normal like, packed of sheep trying to get through a gate, but when you look closely, you see there's not even a fence there. They're following a fence that isn't even there. All it takes is one of them sheep to step out and realize there's no fence. And sometimes when we don't reckon ourselves to sin and we believe that we're still controlled by sin and that our sinful nature still has the power over us, we walk out in that sinful nature because as we think so, we will act. And... Sometimes as Christians, we can be like them sheep believing a lie. Believing that this sinful nature is, is, it has the power of us and we have to obey it. And obey what it, when it's tempting us and when it's telling us to do things we know we shouldn't. But it says that the truth will set you free. And the truth is you are dead to sin, so therefore reckon yourself believe that that sinful nature that you have was crucified and all its passions, all the addictions, all the habits that you can't seem to break, believe that they were crucified with Christ and you are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. The old has gone, the new has come. You have gone from the darkness to the light. God pulled you from the slimy pit and set your feet on a rock. You have been made New, you have been regenerated. And the answer to the sinful nature is our new nature. There's a scripture that says, do not be conformed to the image of the world. And when I read that verse, and I I was looking at what the word conformed meant in the Greek, and the word, I'm going to botch this, but it's "simorphé," And what "simorphé" means is to behave like because of a similar nature, so when it says do not be simorfe to the image of this world, it's saying don't behave like the world just because you have the same nature as them. Because although our sinful nature was crucified, that's not to start believing that we should be perfect. Because it also says, if you say you have no sin, then you're a liar. Because even though that sinful flesh has been crucified with Christ that sinful nature is going to still try its best to live out in you and to take control of your mind and your soul. So it says, do not behave like the world because you have the same nature as them. But it also says in Romans that God, before the beginning of time, predestined those that love him to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Because now as a Christian, you have two natures, your sinful nature and your Christ-like nature. So it's who am I going to be conformed to? I have a sinful nature that is the world follows. Am I going to choose to behave like them because of my sinful nature? Am I going to hate like them? Unforgive like them? Lust like them? Drink like them? Am I going to behave like the world because of their nature? And I have that nature in me. Or am I going to behave like Christ because I have his nature in me? And it's no longer I but Christ in me. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And choosing to be set apart is choosing to set yourself apart from the sinful nature that the world is followed by and choosing to be conformed to the image of Christ and living out in your Christ-like nature, a holy nature, the Holy Spirit. And how how do we walk in the new man then? How do we crucify the flesh and the sinful desires and choose and learn to walk in the new man. Because that's something that I've always struggled with. I'm like, yeah, God, you made me new, but this sinful nature is still here. And although he doesn't have the power, he still wants to get out and do and have his own ways. And it says, after it says, do not be conformed to the image of this world, it says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when I was reading that, that word renewing can also mean renovating. And I was like, I've got the perfect analogy because anyone who knows right now, my family are renovating a house. (laughs) And I remember the first time I went to visit this house and I knew that my parents were looking at it. I was going around and I was like, oh my word, because there was so much work to be done. It's not like completely destroyed, but there's, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And I went over to my mom and I was like so confused. I was like, mom, why on earth are you and dad thinking about actually buying this house? Because look at it, you know. And my mom went, Adam, me and your dad are not looking how you're looking at it. You see, Adam, you are looking at the house at its current state, at its current condition. But me and dad are looking at the beauty of the potential of what this house can be. My parents were not just buying the house so that they can leave it as it is they were buying the house to renovate it to transform it and renew it to glory to make it a beautiful house and scripture says that we were bought at a high price god bought us at a high price with the precious blood of his son jesus christ He did not buy us at a high price to leave us to live in our old man and to still be slaves to sin. He died and he bought us at a high price so that he could make us new, that he could transform us into beauty and glory. So how on earth can I let God renovate me? About six months ago, there was a car that has been has served our family so well it's the Ford Galaxy we love that car and I'm not I know this is used lightly I'm not using these words lightly that was a godsend that car we were thinking about selling it about six months ago before we were thinking of moving house and for some reason we didn't because we never used it, it was just sat in the garage And for some reason, I know now that that was God that we did not sell that car because it has been the greatest tool to renovate in our house. (laughs) All the the junk and the rubbish and the the previous owner's stuff that's been in the house that we've had to move to the tip, that car is huge. It's fit loads of it in, and we've managed to save so much money on not getting skips because we've had the Ford Galaxy to help us get it (laughs) to the tip. It's been an asset, you know? So... It's been such a great tool to renovate in our house and those tools that we can use to renovate our minds, to renovate our souls and our spirit. And the greatest tool, first of all, is the Word of God. That is the Ford galaxy of your minds. It, it's the greatest tool to renovate in your mind, to being able to think new. The truth will set you free from your old sinful nature. So read the Word of God. That is the truth. The word of God it pierces through bone and marrow. If you need to renovate your mind, read the word of God. I I could yeah, I could stop there. there, Read the word of God. I will. (laughs) Because it says in scripture, what you what you sow to you will reap a harvest from. If I had to check myself for this the other week because I'm watching TV programs and I'm like, this is just feeding my flesh and I'm reaping a harvest from my flesh because of it. If I'm constantly feeding my flesh and listening to songs that constantly talk about sex, drugs and money, and I'm constantly listening to podcasts or watching the news and watching TV shows that are filling my mind with nonsense and lies that aren't true and and things that go against God and his ways, then I'm going to reap a harvest from my flesh. And, and I'm not saying where some people get really strict on this and they say, a Christian should never listen to anything secular, never read any secular books, never watch any secular TV programs. I don't think I've ever watched a Christian movie, to be honest, because, let's be honest, all the best ones are secular. But what I'm saying is, have the discernment to be like, is this TV program that I'm watching going to feed my flesh? Is this going to make me reap a harvest from my sinful nature? Have the discernment to realize... Is this feeding my sinful nature and my old man and helping him to to walk out in my life? Instead of of filling your minds and souls and spirits with the things of this world, fill them with the things of God. Listen to worship music. Whenever I listen to worship music, there is instantly a peace that comes in the room and a presence. Instead of, of... you know, listening to podcasts or watching the news that are shoving these stupid narratives. Start listening to preachers, sermons, or, or the things of God. Spend time every day to read your word and actually pray to God. Because if you're, doing, if you're not doing that, you're not going to be walking in the new man. Because the new man needs feeding. And when, you, when you're not fed, you are weaker. So if your sinful nature is constantly being fed and your new man is never being fed... Obviously the sinful nature is going to reap a harvest and it's going to win the battle. Because there's a, a passage of scripture in Romans where Paul says, "I don't understand myself. What I want to do, I don't do. What I what I do want to what I want to do, I don't do, and what I don't do what I don't want to do, I do." It's such a confusing <laughs> verse because it's like, but you get what he's saying. Because there is a, a, a fight and a war in your soul of the sinful nature and the spirit wanting to win. So you've got to be careful about feeding that sinful nature and not feeding the spirit and the new man. So fill your minds and your hearts and souls with the things of God. Imagine a church that was just fully walking the new man. Because I believe that the greatest evangelism we can, we can think about you know, going and doing crusades and going on street preaching and that, which is great. I'm not saying they're wrong. But in my opinion, the greatest evangelism is just being set apart. There are many times when my, my friends will be like, Adam, why don't you do that? And I'm like, because I'm a Christian. And it makes them think it's like maybe there is a higher standard in life. Maybe, you know, and I'm not trying to be like, we're better than them. That's not what I'm trying to say. But when we choose to live set apart, we are examples to the world. We are living, uh, living epistles of Christ. We are a- a- an example and a light to the world of God. We're witnesses of Christ by how we live and how we act. By how we love and how we forgive. And how we don't cancel anyone who has a different political opinion than us. Or like how we don't unforgive and hold grievances against people imagine a church that walked in the new man that loved one another completely that forgave and bared with one another and didn't lust and and was never lying to people and was constantly building one another up instead of putting each other down and that wasn't constantly prideful and arrogant and trying to think about ourselves all the time and never about anyone else imagine a church that walked completely in the new man and I want to end with two passages of scripture. When I, when I was trying to find what really said, what I was trying to say this whole time, it's these two passages. And we have community groups in the week, and we're going to go deeper into these scriptures in the week. So if you're not in a community group, I encourage you to speak to Derek and Tracy and his patience here. I don't know if patience is here, but speak to Derek and Tracy about a community group patience is here she's in kids so if you know who patience is you can speak to her as well so first of all colossians chapter 3 verses 1 to 17 i'm going to give you guys some time to get that up i saw like a meme i'm trying to get it on now i saw a meme and it was like this guy sweating loads it's like when the pastor starts reading the scripture and you haven't found it yet so it says since then you have been raised with christ ...with its practices and have put on the new self... ...which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised... Barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. I love that verse because sometimes in the church we have like we have the modern church, the old-fashioned church, or like you've got the young Christians and the old, and we try and separate it. It's a church. Whether you sing hymns or you can even have rap songs in your worship, it's a church, C- civilized or uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is in all, and he is all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And next I want to go to Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 10. It says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at once, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of the wrath of God. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us. I don't know about you, but When it says about us being God's masterpiece, I think of the house we're renovating. And I know that once we finish that, it would have been way more special than if we had just bought any other house. Because we will see our works when we look at this house. This house will be our masterpiece because we did that. And while we were dead in our sins, God made us alive to Him through Christ. And when He looks at us and the work that He did in us... He says, that and they are my masterpiece. All of us were deserving of the wrath of God, but he made us alive in Christ. So do not conform yourself to the image of this world, but conform yourself to your new nature in Christ. Your holy nature, because of this one simple truth. Christ lives in you. Amen. Amen.